Well, good morning, everybody. Let me add my word of welcome. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and it's my privilege uh, to be with you this morning as we kick off this thing called the Red Letter Challenge. Again, we had our intro week last week. This week is our being week, and we're going to be talking about that in a minute. But, uh, but first, um, I was in college on the track team my freshman year. I know that may be a surprise to you. Might be really surprised to let you know what I did. I was a high jumper and long jumper, and I weighed a lot less then. Let's just put it that way. But, uh, but, but one of the things I really wanted to do is I wanted to be a hurdler. I wanted to run the high hurdles. Now, if you don't know what the high hurdles are, it's, it's a sprint. You run 110 meters, and there are 10 hurdles that are three and a half feet. That's 42 inches tall, and you have to run over those hurdles. And I say run over because that's really what you do. You're running. You're taking like three steps between each one, and then you're flying over that next hurdle. That's what I wanted to do. And we did not have a high hurdler on our track team. I went to Concordia College, River Forest, uh, a little school, no hurdler on our track team. So I was like, Coach, I want to run the high hurdles. He's like, what makes you think he can do that? And I said, well, here's what I've been doing. You see, we had, we had three high hurdles. We had three of them. And so after I would be practicing the high jump or long jump, I would set them up on the track, and uh, I'd get them you know, the right distance apart, and then I would, I would taught myself I'd just kind of fly over those three, man. I could do it. I, I had it down. You know, I was nailing it. You know? And so I'm like, Coach, let me run the high hurdles. And he was like, no. So after the next meet, I, I was practicing again. And I'm like, I'm good at this. I know I can do this. And so I finally, I pulled him over. I'm like, coach, watch this. And I got in the start, and I went, bam. And I flew over those three hurdles. I'm like, see, coach, I can do this. And he's like, oh, we'll see. Finally, the last meet of the year, we're on the bus. And he comes over, and he goes, you're running the high hurdles. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. So we were down, at, I'll never forget it, it was a day like today, kind of crisp, cool fall day, sunny, beautiful. We were down at the University of Chicago, and it was an invitational meet. So it was us, and it was Northwestern University, and a, a couple of other smaller colleges, and, uh, and the Chicago track team, they were really cool. They had these like red and white striped shorts, I still remember it, they were awesome, you know. And, and so now, I'm there, and I'm going to run the high hurdles with these guys, and I'm, I'm in one of the middle lanes, and I get down to the start, and bang, the, the gun goes off, and I go flying. And I fly over the first three hurdles, just like I had practiced. And now, you're not supposed to kind of turn and look, you know, because you're supposed to keep your eye focused. But in my peripheral vision, I realize I cannot see anyone. I, I'm in the lead. I'm winning this thing. Now, did I tell you we only had three hurdles at our college? <laughs> Somehow, I don't know what it was. I don't know whether it was just that I had never had to jump over a fourth hurdle before or, uh, or whether my adrenaline was going just a little bit too much. But as I get and I'm starting to go over the fourth hurdle, I realize as I'm taking off, I'm too close. I'm, I'm too far. And as I'm going up, my heel just kind of clips that hurdle just, just a little bit, just, just enough to kind of to knock the hurdle a little bit forward. And I make it over just fine, but, but now I've slowed up just a little bit. And so now I've got to really try to go to get to the next hurdle. And by the way, I see everybody else goes past me right in that moment, right? And, and so I've got to go, and, but now I, I'm too far away from the hurdle. And I'm up in the air, and I realize I'm coming down right on this hurdle. Sure enough, I come down right on the top of it. Bang, I, I fall on the track. I go rolling. The hurdle's knocked over. I'm laying there. Now, if I had ever run the hurdles before, I would have known what you do at that point. You get up and you walk off the track. You're done, right? No. I was going to finish. And so I back up, 
and I try to get myself going for the next hurdle, for the fifth hurdle, and I make it over that hurdle, and now between the fifth hurdle and the sixth hurdle, I'm still not going fast enough. So instead of three steps, I think I take five steps in between. And then the next one, I think maybe I took four steps, which means I actually jumped with the opposite leg over that hurdle. I'm not quite sure how I did that. And so I'm gonna, you know, now everybody else is like almost done with the race, right? But I'm not giving up. And I keep going, and I keep going, and I'm like chopping my steps and everything. And finally, the 10th hurdle is there, and I hit it, like, again, just like I did that fourth hurdle, bang, fall over again, knock the hurdle down. I'm laying on the track like this, about 10 feet from the finish. And I look up, and there's my coach standing on the side, clipboard, stopwatch still running, <laughs> and this I told you so look on his face, right? And maybe worst of all, there was a guy standing there with his daughter, and I hear her say, Daddy, how come he's so far behind all the other guys? Now, I, I tell you that story because sometimes, despite the best of our intentions, it's hard to finish, isn't it? And last week, we started this thing called the Red Letter Challenge, and, and hopefully on Tuesday, you sat down and you opened your book for the first time, and you said, okay, I'm going to do these daily readings over the next 40 days, and, and maybe you already missed a day, I don't know, or, or maybe there was one day where you were like, Oh, it's 10 o'clock at night. Crud, I never did my reading. And you got your book out, you know, whatever it was. We, we really want you to finish. There's a book called Finishing Well. Um, and in there they say 93% of people never finish things that they start. They just, they just don't finish it. We don't want that to happen to you. We want you to make it through these 40 days. Now, by the way, it's not too late to start. If you didn't get a book and you want to get one today, I checked before the service. They've still got some out there. Uh, just stop by the Connect desk. You can get a book. Or, or maybe you're going, look, I'm not doing that book thing, Mark. I, okay, that's fine. How about this? Get out your Bible every day over these 40 days and open it up to one of the Gospels, maybe John, and just read those red letters, those, those words of Jesus, and see what Jesus has to say to you. Do that every day. Again, one of the things we're encouraging you is if you miss a day or a couple of days, don't worry about it. We've been saying it this way. Where you are is where you are. So if you're on day 17 and you miss day 15 and 16, just jump right in at day 17. Even Zach Zender, the guy who wrote the book, says when he's done the challenge, he's never done all 40 days. He's missed a few somewhere along the way. All right? We want you to finish. As we look at these red letters of Jesus, these words of Jesus, and we try to put them into practice in our life, we try to actually live the way Jesus told us to live. And each week, we're going to be looking at these things. And why don't you read these together with me? Being, forgiving, giving, serving, going. That's what we're going to be looking at over these next weeks. And like I said when I first came out, this is our being week, if you didn't notice it on the sides there. I talk about what it means to just be with Jesus. I mean, think about that for a minute. Think about those 12 disciples that Jesus called to follow him. And think about how they spent three years every day with Jesus. Doesn't that sound awesome? It, it does to me. But now, I, I want to point out something, though, about the way Jesus called those disciples, because it was surprising to me when someone pointed it out to me. Now, remember, the disciples are part of the children of Israel, the Jewish people of their day, and, uh, and they've been under the rule of one or another foreign power for literally hundreds of years. You know, it was the Assyrians, then the Babylonians. That then it was the Greeks, then it was the Ptolemies, then the Seleucids, and now it's the Romans. 
And, uh, and they have not been free. They have not been independent. But God keeps promising that that's going to happen. God keeps promising that just as he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, he is going to rescue them now. He's going to send them this, this, this figure called the Messiah who is going to rescue them. And they've been waiting generation after generation and watching. And there's been a few guys along the way they thought might be the Messiah, but it turned out they weren't. And now Jesus shows up. And people start thinking, wait a minute, maybe this is the guy. I, I love this story in the beginning of John's gospel. Andrew and a few others, they find this guy named Jesus. And, and, and John the Baptist, who they've been following, says, that's him. That's the Messiah. And, and, and so they go and they get others. They get Peter and, and Nathaniel. And, and they bring them to Jesus. And, and, and Jesus reveals himself, yes, to be the Messiah to them. In fact, Jesus says it this way. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. You see, in the temple in those days, that place where they believed the presence of God was, they had a stone in the Holy of Holies. And they believed it was the stone that Jacob had rested his head on. And do you remember, Jacob had this dream about angels ascending and descending. See, they saw that as a symbol of God's presence. And now Jesus says, hey, you want to see God? Don't go to the temple. He's right here. Jesus is literally saying, I am the connection to heaven. I am your connection to your God. I am that Messiah. And he calls them to follow him. Now, what do you think they thought they were going to do next? I mean, think about that. Jesus has just revealed, yes, I am the Messiah. I've come to rescue God's people. Maybe they thought they were going to go uh, and sit down for a meeting with Pontius Pilate to tell him, hey, there's a new sheriff in town, buddy. You're done the Messiah is here. Or maybe they thought he was going to go meet with the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, so that they could start to plot and figure out how they were going to take their country back. Or there was this group of people called the Zionists, and they were putting a militia together. Maybe they thought Jesus was going to go meet them and say, hey, look, I'm in charge now. We're going to, we're going to kick the Romans' butt. We're going to take care of this. I imagine they thought they were going to do something like that. But you know what they did? The very next verse tells us this. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. I mean, picture that conversation. They're like, okay, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Got it. Let's go. What are we going to do? He's going, we're going to a party. And they're like, wait, what? And, and remember, weddings in those days weren't like four hours on a Saturday afternoon. They were like four days. I imagine that Jesus' disciples are sitting around at the wedding with Jesus going, look, Jesus, this is great and everything, but when are we going to do something? There's another example of that. Jesus calls another, uh, another disciple, this guy named Levi, or Matthew, we know him by. He wrote the gospel named Matthew. He was a tax collector, and, and we're told in Mark's gospel that once again Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Where did he follow him to? His house to have dinner. <laughs> That's what it says. Right after that, the very next verse, it says, well, Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. He's like, hey, Levi, I want you to follow me. Levi's like, cool, where are we going? Your house. You see, there's this pattern, and, and, and Mark talks about it in the next chapter a little bit. When Jesus called his disciples, the first thing he called them to do was simply to be with him. That's it. 
simply to be with him. Look at that. It says, and he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those who he desired, and he, they came to him, and he appointed the twelve, who he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Now, yeah, then it says, and so that they might be sent out. There's, there's definitely going to be some doing involved here, but it starts first with simply being with Jesus. Do you know this? Every single religion in the world, except Christianity, puts it in this order. I mean, think about it for a minute. Every single religion in the world, if you want to be a part of that religion, if you want to be something, you have to do something first. You have to behave in a certain way, or you have to dress in a certain way. You have to learn certain things. You have to memorize certain stuff. You have to promise to act in a certain way. You have to do something, and if you do something, then you can be something. That's the way religion works, except for Christianity. Christianity is the exact opposite. Yeah, there's doing. There's stuff to do when you're a Christian, but that's not where it starts. It starts simply with being. Now, I love this verse. This is Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. You know what that verse tells me? It tells me, Mark, you don't have to get your act together for Jesus to love you. You don't have to, you know, get get stuff taken care of in your life before Jesus' family will welcome you. The, The reality is you are welcome exactly as you are, with sin and faults and failings and, and mistakes, all of it, scars. Whoever you are, you are welcome. Before you were even born, Jesus knew you were going to live, he knew you were going to mess up, and he gave his life for you. Someone said it to me once, and I, I, I don't know that I can prove it from Scripture, but it makes sense to me when you think about it, that Jesus as God, when he hung on that cross, He thought about every single one of us. In some way, again, beyond our understanding, he thought of us, he thought of you, he thought of your sin, he thought of your your failings, and he knew he was given his life for you. Christianity starts with being, then doing. Now, some people are really good at being, right? Some people are like, cool, I can just be. I'm fine with that. I don't have to do anything. That's great, okay? And, and there's a problem with that. There's a problem with simply being. Eventually, you've got to do something. I remember hearing this story about this guy. He owned this company. It was a manufacturing company. And he decided he was going to go over to Europe for a year and start up a new branch over there. And he left his senior leaders in charge. And he came back after a year, and he pulled into the parking lot, and there was full of cars, Um, And uh, he thought, well, that's a good sign. And he walked around to the front of the building, and and he noticed the grass was like this tall. No one had cut it, and uh, the bushes weren't trimmed, and and, and the the, the glass door leading in looked all smudged up. It hadn't been cleaned in a while. And he walked in, and there's no receptionist at the desk. And he couldn't, there's no one around at all. And he, he looked in the windows overlooking the manufacturing plant, and the machines are all just sitting there. Nothing was happening. Now he's starting to panic, and he wants to know where everybody is, and he finally finds the, the, the big auditorium, and, and he walks in, and there's everybody. 
And they're like, oh my gosh, he's back. And they start cheering. And, and he's, he's like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, this is really, really cool. We gather in here every day. And uh, you've been sending us letters. Well, we've been studying those letters, and we've been memorizing parts of those letters, and we've written songs about those letters, and we gather together, and we sing those songs, and, and one of us gets up and, and, and does a little talk about those letters and the significance of those letters for our lives. And goes, but you're not doing anything. Sometimes we can be like that. We, we've got to move from being to doing. But maybe some of you are more like me. You just want to do, Right? You're like, okay, enough talk. Let's get something done. Let's do something. People on staff accuse me of being a fire-ready aim kind of guy, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it, you know? Well, wait, don't you think we had to? No, no, let's just, let's, let's go. Let's do it. I tend to be that. And if you tend to be that, this week is going to be really important for you in this Red Letter Challenge because this week is all about simply being with Jesus. I love this quote. If we cannot trust him in the calm of his presence... We will never be able to trust him as we pursue his purpose in our lives. In other words, when we start doing, when we try to live out the words of Jesus, if we haven't first learned to trust him when we're just being, it's never going to work. A few years ago, we did this series on uh, this verse from Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. In fact, we gave everybody little crosses with the words be still on it. I don't know if you remember that. I still have mine. Because sometimes I need to remember that. That being a Christian starts by simply resting in the love and grace of our God. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, but wait a minute. The disciples got to be with Jesus for three years, and then there was that whole ascended into heaven thing, Right? So Jesus is up there in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, we're told in the creed. Then how, how can we be with Jesus? I, I went back and I found a video we used a, a number of years ago in one of our series. Watch, watch this for just a minute. Jesus doesn't have any money in his, you know, doesn't have a wallet, right? But, but I love that video. We, like I said, we used it years ago for one of our worship series that we were doing. Um, and just that idea of what it would be like to just spend a day just hanging around with Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? 
I mean, I'm really jealous of, of the disciples in the Gospels as I read about all the experiences they had just being with Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, as, as we launch into this being week, you're going to be studying that and reading about that uh, in your daily readings in the Red Letter Challenge. But today I want to just highlight three ways that you and I can be with Jesus. Just be with him. And the first is spending time in his word. I mean, we talk about this all the time, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you get sick of hearing about it, but, but just spending time reading God's word is, is the most precious gift other than God's grace and forgiveness that we have in our lives. I mean, yeah, the disciples got to spend three years with him, but after that, after Jesus ascended, they didn't have the Bible. They had to write the Bible, at least the New Testament part of it. And, uh, and, and think about what a gift that we have that every single day we can open up our Bibles and, and there on the pages of our Bible, God is just waiting to spend time with us, just waiting to be with us. I had a professor at seminary that described the Bible this way. He said, it's kind of like a diamond. You know, when you look at it, there's all these different facets, and you can look at it from all different angles, and you're always going to see something new. And, and I've really found that to be true. It, even though I've been reading God's Word regularly for years and years and years, I'm amazed at how many times I open up that Bible to my daily Bible reading, and, uh, and I start to read, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I never thought about it that way before. Or there's something new that I, that I, I hadn't thought about. It's like God was just waiting for that moment to reveal himself to me in a new way, a way that I need that day. It's amazing. Folks, if you don't get anything else out of the Red Letter Challenge, the, the one thing that I would hope would be that over these 40 days, you would develop a habit and some time of every day just hearing from the Lord. I have a friend who's a, a, a pastor of a very, very large church. You know, we, we've, got, we've got four sites. I think they're up to 18 sites now. And, uh, and one day somebody asked him, what's the one thing that would be most important for all the people that call, you know, your church, their church home? And he said, the one thing I wish is that, that every person every day would be hearing from God. If, if, if we just did that, everything else would take care of itself. Folks, here's a, a second way that you can be with Jesus every day. It, Jesus has given us this amazing gift, this gift of prayer. That no matter where you are, you can talk to God and the promise is that he will listen. And by the way, if you've never done this, I would encourage you to, to not just talk when you pray. You're going, well, wait a minute, what am I supposed to do? I, I'd encourage you to listen too. Have you ever tried that? I mean, you know, Get a chance to pray and, uh, and, and talk to God for a little bit. Let him know what's on your heart. Let him, let him know what's on your mind. And then just be still. Just be quiet and listen. You might be amazed at what you hear. Now, I've never audibly heard the voice of God. I never heard God go, okay, Mark, I got it, or anything like that. But there are thoughts that come to mind that I know didn't come from me. And, and there's just this, this gut feeling that you get that you know God is listening and he's got a plan. And, it's, and, and there's a peace that sometimes, you know, the Bible says passes all understanding that comes over you when you pray. Spending time with Jesus every day in prayer. And finally, I want to encourage you to just find a way to experience some silence in your life. 
some quiet in your life, some rest in your life. We talked about this a little bit in our last series. We talked about that whole concept of Sabbath, and, and, and maybe that idea of taking one day every week to just rest is, is, is more than you can find a way to do. That's okay. But we all need to find a little time where we shut off our cell phones or at least put them away for a little while, where the TV isn't on, where we can just be still and be quiet. For a while, when I first came to Trinity, I had this idea that, that I was going to take one day a week and I was going to go somewhere to like a retreat center or something and just spend the day in, in contemplation and prayer. And uh, there's actually a retreat center in Wheaton that somebody told me about. And I went there, and as I'm checking, I got a little room reserved for the day there uh, with a bunch of nuns and stuff like that. So, and, uh, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm checking in, and the guy goes, now, now you know that... Uh, you have to take a vow of silence here during the day. I'm, 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 excuse me? He says, no, no one speaks here. Once you go past those doors, there's no talking to anyone. I'm like, okay, cool. That, that sounds cool. Just be quiet. So I had my little room, and I studied, and I read, and, um, you know, and everything. And now it's lunchtime. So I, I go in the cafeteria there and there's all these people sitting there eating and there nobody's saying a word to anybody i'm like this is weird you know and uh and it, it, quite frankly, it made me very, very uncomfortable. So I got my food, and I sat at a table, and there's other people, and kind of like smile and nod at them. They're not even doing that, you know. It's just like, oh, okay, all right, sorry. So I'm like, I'm just going to eat as quick as I can and get back to my room. So I kind of shovel my food in my face. I'm like, all right, time to go. I get up, I turn, and all my silverware flies off my tray onto the floor and goes clattering across the floor. And everybody turns and looks at me like I just killed someone or something like that. And then I went like this. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, oh. I've never been back to that uh, <laughs> retreat center. And so, so maybe that's a little extreme, but, but, but do you have a place, uh, maybe, maybe it's your office at home, or, or maybe it's a quiet bench outside of work, or wherever it is, do you have a place where you can go and just be quiet? Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Folks, if that was important for his disciples that didn't even have cell phones or computers or TV screens, how much more important is it for us to get away from all the noise and just rest with Jesus? Folks, I can't wait to see what God is going to do over uh, these next five weeks as we together take this Red Letter Challenge. As, uh, as we roll up our sleeves, and there's some, there's some pretty challenging things on the horizon for us to try to do if we're going to really live out the words of Jesus in our lives. But first, we start with just saying, I'm just going to be with Jesus. I'm going to read his words. I'm going to listen to what he has to say. And I'm going to take some time to be with my God my Savior. I can't wait to see what God does as you do that this week. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me?